Hello, welcome. You're listening to Angel Nears the Podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where founders, creators, and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to successfully build and scale startups. I'm your host, Ole Kujikov, and our guest today is Mo Tamansabi. Mo is the founder and CEO of Stonefly, one of the innovators in cost-effective, full-feature storage appliances. I'm excited to bring Mo on to talk about how to navigate the world of hyper-converged infrastructure and learn a little bit more about what that is. Now, Mo, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you, Oleg. Uh, it's nice to be here and talking to you about uh, technology and uh you know, what uh, journey we have gone through to get here. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time to do that. I always like to start these interviews with a little intro of the guest. So sure. yeah, just tell me super basic. How'd you even get in, into engineering uh, in the first place? What was your first foray? Well, you know, I got to engineering <laughs> by going to school, you know, so basically, you know, so electrical engineering and then, um, as part of electrical engineering, uh, we took classes. One of the classes was power. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I touched uh, the, uh, one of the lines which had uh, high power. And it was like uh, a few hundred amps. And I guess whatever it was, it's, uh, it almost killed me. So I, I changed to computers, you know. So I said, you know, I don't want to touch this big... Uh, power lines and stuff like that so but i want to do electrical engineering so i i said five volts is good enough for me i'm going to switch to five volts that's all i can take you know so that was, yeah that's the how the computer thing started and um you know after graduated you know i started uh, looking for a job and the first job i ended up in atari which is a fantastic place to be in because uh, it was a combination of, uh, you know, how to get the games into the personal computers. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, tell me a little bit, just a little bit more about that. Um, what, what were you working on while you were at Atari and any, any more about what it was like would be interesting. So my project basically started from early on, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, there's uh, big mini computers and things like that, too expensive for people want to just create personal computers. So we set up to do personal computers and at that point you know we had a platform which was a game system and so we had a video chip already designed for it a sound chip for it so we took these two you know chips and then we built the you know the first personal computer that uh, processor was i think it was 6502 rockwell international so it was a very good processor and then um, i guess you know we introduced models like 400 and 800 of Atari and personal computer kind of was born at that point because, you know, it was a Commodore, you know, before that a little bit. And after that, I guess, you know, the, you see Apple, they do the same thing. Apple came to, to, to you know, at, in the parallel kind of thing, you know, doing the same thing that Atari did. So, Well, I don't remember it quite like you do, but yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, that's how it started. So, I mean, it's uh, it's good, you know. Then I, uh, you know, after that, I started with another company, which was a startup at that point. It's, uh, you know, when I joined it, uh, almost, you know, the name was, uh, you know, Stanford University Network, and it turned out to be SUN, which is Sun Microsystem. So that's how the sun was, and so it was early on, and then we start saying, okay, now we got to build big computers, you know, bigger than the personal, 
but it has to be somehow it can do engineering work. So we focused on, uh, you know, CAT system, which was basically a computer-aided design. And so that was the first uh, application or use case for this type of computers, which had more power and was a Unix-based system, which gave them people more flexibility as far as operating system. And then, you know, so it got more advanced and people use it for, uh, you know, uh, programming a lot. So programmers became very interested to use that because it was a Linux-based system, Unix-based system. And then, you know, uh, we got into other uh, use cases, which basically internet, right? So internet between universities and everything uh, by, I think at that time was financed by DARPA, so we worked on it. So that's how internet, I guess, has kind of got started between universities and, you know, and then expanded from there. And so I was at Sun, and then after that, I started a number of companies after that, which is basically were mostly in the system areas and uh, software development and system areas until I we started um, on storage. Yeah, and that was Stonefly. Stonefly, you know, but mostly uh, there was a dynamic network factory, which basically merged and became finally Stonefly. So because we had multiple companies mm. and we merged them together, and now it came out to be Stonefly, which is very focused on the storage. Uh, so it first uh, pioneered uh, kind of working on a protocol because everything at that point was uh, direct attached storage. So it means you had a bunch of disks and then, um, you know, I before that I worked on uh, many products at Sun, uh, storage products. So that's what I was very familiar with those. And, you know, so when I uh, went to this, uh, ventures with uh, you know creating products uh, as far as the storage. Uh, then I brought that knowledge, and then as I said, was mostly direct attached products, uh, which we use use iSCSI as a protocol. Then um, we kind of uh, added I in front of it, basically, and uh, in this uh, uh, and became iSCSI. And iSCSI means what's like you know it's uh, you know has a you know, internet aspect means it's a network connected, you know, storage. So I basically make it a network connected SCSI product and became iSCSI at that point. And we started, uh, you know, a domain name registered called iSCSI.com and protocol at that time, number of companies worked on it and we worked on it. And it was released, I think, in 2002 as a standard protocol for network attached storage products as a block mode storage and then it went against fiber channel product which you know many years we started evangelizing iSCSI as a protocol so now it's probably if i call it number one protocol for a storage industry you know and i think fiber channel has kind of diminished and you know iSCSI took off and then now it, it is millions and millions of people uh, are using iSCSI product or iSCSI protocols so how does that tie to Stonefly? Can you can you tell me what the, the original idea was for Stonefly and then kind of um, the company was founded in 2000, I believe? Uh, what's happened since then? Yeah, so it's still the same idea. It's working on the storage and uh, use cases of the storage. So it's kind of, you know, uh, the secret sauce is behind all our products. It's, uh, we are a storage-centric companies. 
And uh, so when you're a storage center, it means we are, you deal with data and data, you know, changes over a period of time, how you, you, uh, you acquire data, how you get the data and, and, and how do you store it? How do you protect it? You know, things like that, how to manage it. So all this stuff get on the top of it and it, it changes right through the time, uh, all this stuff. So uh, protocols that starts coming in, you know, so we worked on iSCSI uh, to make direct attached storage to a network attached storage, right? So iSCSI, that's what it did. And uh, the other protocols were also, uh, you know, which is the file-based protocols called uh, NFS or CIF, which is basically, the, it's used for uh, shared repositories. Um, and that's also another protocol that it's, you know, people use for, uh, for getting the data into the storage or say, you know, storing the data. And then now recently, of course, S3 object storage is, has another thing that is, it gets you there, which is the REST protocol. So basically these three are, uh, over a period of time, we develop product based on uh, these protocols to acquire the data. Then, of course, you know, the internal uh, system changes, uh, and one of the most important one, the tier of storage, which went from a SATA to a SAS to, a, you know, SSDs and then NVMEs, you know. So basically, the interface changed, so it has become faster and faster. And there, so that's another uh, changes that you see in the industry. And then, you know, high availability is another one, scalability which is getting added to the mix. So creates uh, more scalability and high availability for a storage product. So, and then, you know, alongside of that, the storage gets integrated as part of its life uh, to combines the storage and servers and networks. So all get virtualized because, you know, not only, the, you know, the technology of server technology changes became like a virtualization with VMware and Hyper-V as a hypervisor or Zen or KVM. Uh, also, the storage becomes uh, virtualized. So that's what we start virtualizing. Uh, you know, another uh, big change that we provided in starting 2010 in that range and in that time frame, which was, uh, you know, a storage virtualization. And then um, combining the network and storage virtualization and uh, servers all together, and that's what's called hyperconverged appliance HCI. That's what you can you explain HCI? But I guess I guess we got that, and we got the the main components. Yeah, so that's how it happens. It basically again, you know, when you needed to uh, kind of utilize your hardware more efficiently, so. As, as part of efficiency of usage of the, the hardware uh, is um, you virtualized. So that was a server virtualization. Then we thought, okay, so why not store it? Then the storage stack was just virtualized. Then, you know, we also said, how about network? The network got virtualized, which was as part of the servers, you know, virtualization came with that. So combining all these three together became hyper-converged appliance, means we converge all these different um, resources. Yeah. And, and what are the benefits of, of storing data and backing it up this way? Well, you know, the biggest thing for hyper-converged appliance, of course, is uh, hardware utilization. Your hardware, it gets uh, partitioned. Uh, you know, between different servers. So you can actually have different servers 
running on the same hardware platform, which used to be what we call uh, physical and uh, not virtual. So if it's a physical appliance, means that it's uh, bare metal. It's only that particular uh, operating system runs on that one uh, server. And uh, versus the virtualized servers, of course, you know, you've got multiple virtual machine, which are the same servers that was physical. Now you can actually put on the same server, and that's the virtualization. So means that now you can host different or multiple virtual machine or servers on the same hardware. And so your hardware utilization goes much, much higher uh, because of the cost of one server with virtualization is going to be cost-effective rather than buying five systems or ten systems doing the same thing. You know, when you virtualize, you really efficiently use your CPU memory and other storage and everything else, right? So, and so that's what the, the whole idea is. And uh, hyperconverged, of course, added your external storage and virtualized it and became part of the, uh, the equipment and then everything all together in one place. Uh, basically, maybe a small data center in the box. You know, everything is in one box. And also, we recently, you know, last few years, we decided, uh, yeah, HCI is great technology. Of course, if you look at HCI, it became more or less that's what you see in the cloud. Cloud is a sort of HCI, which its own hypervisor, basically, right? And some of these hypervisors are based on like KVM, like Amazon, right? So it's the same HCI, but a big HCI, you know, that's all it is. And, uh, you know, you also have like uh, Azure, which is Hyper-V version of the hypervisor running. And the difference between cloud and your local uh, HCI, basically call it, is that you have more control over your local HCI versus cloud HCI, because they won't give you access as much in the hypervisor, managing the hypervisor. So there's limitation there. But in your HCI local, is you have more control, you have full control over your hypervisor. So that's pretty much the journey of the hypervisor. Uh, you know, the HCI going to become eventually, you know, same idea, you know, that you see that's called cloud. Well, that's really interesting. And I think I get uh, the difference between traditional data storage solutions and this HCI solution as being everything's virtualized and partitioned in a way that you can treat it like a black box, maybe. Why would you want to do that? You know, tell me about like, you know, every, every, everyone is trying to put their information and data in the cloud. Everyone's trying to make use of the cloud. Everyone probably wants to make use of big data centers. I'm sure talk about how they can put hyper-converged infrastructure to use. So, so why would you want to do that? How does it what are the benefits compared to like traditional data storage and backup? Well, you know, the, which one? The cloud is what is the advantage of the cloud versus HCI or versus the or traditional bare metal systems? Yeah, HCI versus traditional systems is what I was asking. Well, it's just a server utilization, so hardware utilization. So you have much, much better hardware utilization. You can use... You know, let's let's say you you want to build five servers, like you know, you want to uh, email servers, you want know, application servers, you have accounting servers, you have uh, you know 
uh, you know, let's say you have five different use cases for building applications. So you might go buy five servers, right? And then say, okay, it's my email server, this is my accounting server, this is my, you know, application, whatever else application server I have here, and so on and so forth. So that costs you five servers. That's called physical. Now you can take and go and buy one server and uh, then basically put all these five applications or five things that you have in that one server. So now you spend it one versus five, right? And protect one and then, you know, there's some other things is, for example, uh, when you back up, uh, you know, we call this host. So when you go to virtualization, you call it host. So when you back up uh, the host, which has all this virtual machine on it, you can use agentless backup, means that you don't really have to put agent in every, um, you know, virtual machine that you have because the hypervisor provides a way of get, taking snapshots of those machines and you can do backups of the whole thing uh, from the hypervisor. You don't have to go into each virtual machine. So this way is actually processing much faster, much more reliable, and so on and so forth. So, and uh, you can create different things, as a backup, snapshots, replications, and things like that. That you can actually have more uh, data protection capability and also management capability. And uh, you know, you can consolidate everything to you know much much better management uh, you know interfaces. HCI is best suited for workloads that are make that are making use of horizontal scaling rather than vertical scaling. How does HCI handle scalability and performance for organizations uh, in terms of storage and recovery? With that in mind, can you can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's basically it's scalability is great uh, because you can scale from one node and a few virtual machines to hundreds and thousands virtual machines uh, with adding more nodes. And, um, you know, so uh, it supports pretty good scalability. Also, when you add, you can manage performance by uh, allocating resources like CPU and memory to, you, to the machines that they require higher uh, performance load and performance. And uh, so you can manage performance by allocation of the resources you have much better than, uh, you know, which with the single, uh, you know, physical appliances that you might have. So performance and scalability is more or less uh, definable by you, you know, with, uh, from resources you have. And that gives you good, good uh, management. Also, as far as backup and disaster recovery, uh, is it's easy, easier, much easier because now you can have uh, integration, which we have in the sense in our DR365 product, uh, especially DR365V product, is that we have integrated um, our immutable and air gap system, uh, in which is right now in these days is critical to have because of the ransomware, malwares, viruses, hackers all people who are trying to get to your data and uh, put you out of business, basically. So what we do, we create immutability. Immutability means that we can store the data and assign metadata to it, and then we write it. So it's not deletable for X amount of days, months, years. Whatever policy you assign for that particular data, so that data is immutable, not deletable. 
So when it's not deletable or modifiable, means that ransomware cannot do anything to it, malware, viruses, hackers, it's just not there. And air gap also means that when you're using it, the repository or the controller or the node is attached, means it's active, it's there, it's available to you. But when it's not used, it disconnects it. It puts it in a vault and locks it down. So it means, you know, it's not available for ransomware to attack it or malwares or viruses or even hackers. They don't see it. It's not there. It's disconnected pretty much. So either virtually disconnected or physically disconnected. So we have all different uh, methods that basically create air gap in our product. And so that is a very big advance that uh, we provide as part of HCI system. Also, when you have HCI, you also can do continuous testing system, means that you can actually test your backup for any kind of uh, dormant ransomware, malwares, and other things, or time bombs, or things that you cannot really discover that you're going to have those problems until you restore it. But when you restore, it's too late. You already, you know, you have been infected or some disaster has happened and now you're going and restoring it and these things go off and then encrypts everything you got in your environment and it's worse than before. So now you need to do continuous testing and these part of appliance, since they're virtualized and those platforms and resources available to you, you can actually do continuous restore in the bubble network system that it creates means that bubble network it makes your production pretty much how it looks like and so it stands up those machines tests those machines and then you know basically goes through a sequence of what it knows that about ransomware malware viruses it knows about those signatures or behaviors and detects it and then it reflects you and say hey you know this backup is no good or what you have is no good it's going to be a problem so you are you're alerted before the disaster happens to you, basically. That's what it does. So these are some of the features that it can be incorporated in this type of environment, um, which basically protects you against all these, uh, you know, uh, misbehaviors, I would call it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so basically we've added security features and capabilities as the threats have kind of grown. And, and this system is better for that. A lot better. It, it survives. And hopefully it keep you in business, right? And, you know, because right now we are pretty much anybody can expect, uh, you know, get hit with any of these guys every minute. And it's an equal opportunity program. Means that, you know, you could be a five-person company or it could be 500 or 5,000 or 50,000. It doesn't matter. It doesn't know anything about this and that it just basically once it gets in there it would encrypt anything you got so it doesn't say you are a 50,000 companies i'm afraid of you i'm not going to do it no no it's going to be happy i've seen a lot of companies get affected like this which are huge company with a lot of resources or a small company it doesn't matter anybody who has data and anybody has any access to any kind of uh, programs that is running or internet or emails or this and that or whatever social engineering you're exposed so you're gonna get hit one way or another it's just a matter of time right so you might as well just be prepared and protect yourself and part of the ways of protecting is actually knowing how to protect yourself and these are some of the methodologies or methods that we use to basically protect the businesses 
Yeah. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, Let's get into use cases. So what are some of the common use cases for HCI and and where is this technology most suitable? Um, I know you said everyone with data is at risk. So I I imagine that the answer is kind of everywhere. But uh, yeah, what, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if I was going to do anything over three machines, memory servers, I go HCI, you know, because at that time, you know, it really doesn't make any sense, you know, unless you have any specific reason you are not. But in general term, you know, anybody over three or four machines in that range, HCI is, is a wonderful product, right? It's basically, it gives you control over your resources. And it gives you a scalability. So if you want to add another server on it, it takes only a few minutes and you can spin up another machine, you know, versus, you know, going by a server takes days, months, you know. <laughs> These days with this supply chain, you know, maybe it takes months, you know, before you get that server. Versus in uh, HCI, it, it could take uh, a few minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. You know, so, you know, the, the economy works for you. The manageability works for you. Uh, the power requirement works for you. You know, you save a lot of power, you save a lot of maintenance. So everything is worked for you. The economy of it, it works for you. And also, as I said, integration with the backup and disaster recovery systems is also, it's a great plus for it. Mm-hmm. Are there any industries that are maybe more suitable than others? What do you think about that? Well, uh, you know, there are some industries which are basically mostly they're single applications. So maybe some manufacturing stuff like that. Maybe not as much, you know, oriented toward uh, HCI. Like they're running like one, one application, manufacturing application, maybe that. But, you know, then, you know, if you go to other uh, people who are have multiple applications running, of course, HCI is there. You know, it could be legal. Of course, they run. You know, 10, 10, 20, 30, 100, you know, hundreds of machines and their legal is there, you know, healthcare is there, uh, large manufacturing also is there, uh, you know, and then, you know, education is there, you know, so it's, it's just all over the place, right? So basically anybody, as I said, over three machine, four machine, HCI is the great option. And, um, you know, so it's not, you know, any, you know, of course, you know, if you have data centers, you know, that you are trying to optimize for space and, you know, the, the utilization of power or, uh, you know, uh, uh, heat and air conditioning and things like that, of course, it's a great thing because now people are building, uh, you know, they, they used to have large data center to host all these machines now. They're kind of reducing the footprint to the smaller one and saving on the environment as well. It sounds like this technology is incredibly important and anyone with a complex system should be thinking about using it. Can you walk us through what a typical hyperconverged infrastructure deployment process looks like? I imagine it can't be very easy. Well, actually, it's, it's pretty simple because in HCI environment, there's a, you know, the GUI that it's, it's basically controls the hypervisors where, you know, deployment of the machines and everything else so since it's a one pan GUI type of thing so everything is on on one and it makes it much easier because at the same place that you are uh, you know preparing your storage you prepare your network you prepare your servers all that in in the single pan and uh, 
So you can see that and you can see, you know, all the performance management, you see all the st st status of different things. So deployment is very simple and easy and uh, much easier than, you know, you sit down, uh, you know, try to do single servers and then, you know, networks, deal with networks and switches and things like that. And, uh, you know, connections and cables and all that kind of thing, right? So versus this is since the network is virtualized between the machines, it's you don't deal with cables, you don't deal with anything. It's all mostly internal, right? Except you want to go out, which is, you know, it's not as complicated or, you know, requirements are not that tough that you have all the virtual uh, NIC ports and, you know, networking and LANs and, you know, subnets and things like that. So it's much easier to do it and incorporating some other things like features that you might want to put, like security and all that within uh, deployment, I would say it's much, much simpler. If deployment is the simple part, then what's the complicated part? Is it? Well, I don't see anything complicated. <laughs> it's all good, 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 good. You know, I don't know anything bad about it. Is as long as you basically figure out you know, your scalability when you choose it, you know, what kind of resources you add. So sizing, I think, is the challenge. Most of the people have sizing it, you know, because they come from physical appliance and now you throw them in the, the you know, virtual appliance. So basically they have to figure out what kind of resources they need. So if they'd be able to uh, initially size it up correctly, um, and we'll help them to do that, uh, you know, because you can ask a certain question. We have calculators, a lot of calculators, which actually helps you to, you know, allocate resources of what that's what CPU memory bandwidth on net networking and things like that. And then, you know, our storage areas and tiers and all that kind of thing. So it's very easy to configure it. But yeah, as long as you know what you want right now, and then, you know, what kind of performance you might want to get, what kind of application you want to run. So if you be able to provide a, a little bit of information, then, you know, we can say, okay, this uh, needs these kind of resources, which is basically, if you look at it, what resources it is, it's CPU, memory, and storage, and network. So these are the components of uh, HCI. So if you be able to define these this four components, then the next one is high availability and scalability. How much can I scale? You know, if I need to put more machines, you know, do I go on the same unit, yes, if you over-provision CPU and memory, of course, uh, and disk, of course, you know, you know, and if, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's mostly the software-defined, means, you know, everything you have is very much software-defined. As you define them, then you use them, and if you want to change it, you uh, change the definition of it, and then it would change. So your allocation of your resources change on the fly. And that's a very strong uh, point about this. But as long as you size it up correctly, then you can use those resources. So I would say the challenge is that understanding what your requirement is and then, you know, uh, projecting it uh, to now and future, right? And then getting the right size. And if you don't, then you have an idea how to scale it, you know, our capacity, you know, I have you know, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, more slots on on the on the servers, so I can just plug in more drives, so add more storage, 
Or how would I add memory if I need more memory resource because I am adding more machines? Or, uh, you know, can I change the CPU if it's not enough? I can put a bigger CPU. Or I can go to the second node or third node or fourth node and things like that, right? So you can have multiple nodes. So understand your options, basically. Can you discuss a real-life scenario where hyperconverged infrastructure has helped, uh, I'm just going to call it HCI, um, where HCI has helped an organization with their data storage and uh, data recovery needs? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have many situations which, um, uh, if uh, their existing production, uh, which are, uh, let's say, it was vulnerable and it uh, got compromised, if their backup is consists of HCI, uh, means that you can restore the whole production into the HCI environment as a, in the backup environment, which is based on HCI and uh, has integration with that, they can restore the whole thing and just be back in a business in uh, almost, I would say, no time. It depends, you know, how many machines they want to restore and get back in business and be whole. And then once the, the their production comes back, uh, then they would just basically replicate back, um, you know, to their production and build the production. So... These are, we, we have seen in legal environment, you know, a lot of lawyers and stuff like that. We have seen those things, you know, has performed very well. We have seen in, in the healthcare has done very well, uh, you know, so because these are, so, and education, of course, and then finance, financial uh, institutions, those we also have seen. These are, you know, more or less uh, under uh, a lot of attacks and problems every day, you know, so these are uh, major low-hanging fruit for security uh, hackers, you know. That seems like you've done a lot of work with a lot of people then. Finer points, how does HCI integrate with other technologies such as cloud and containers? Well, they're from the same family, so they're cousins, right? So basically it means that HCI, as I said, you know, the only difference between local HCI and the cloud is pretty much the hypervisor, you know, but it also has the same virtual machines that runs, you know, locally or in the cloud or container locally or cloud. It's pretty much the same thing. It's just the hypervisor different and you don't have as much as control in the hypervisor when it's in the cloud. And then versus, you know, the ones that you're running locally. So locally you have full control and cloud you have less control. That's the difference really, uh, pretty much, you know. Of course, then, you know, the cloud, you know, uses different management interfaces, but functionality is pretty much the same. They also have the, pretty much a lot of data services are the same thing like snapshot, replication, dedupe, or other things, other data services they might have. And also HCI Local has the same features that, uh, you know, they have. So the only major difference I see who owns the, the product is that, you know, AWS owns the product or Azure owns the product and run it in data center or you own the product, right? So, and who, own, who owns the, whoever owns the product owns the hypervisor. So then, you know, and uh, so, you know, then uh, limitations uh, gets, uh, in, you know, imposed on if, uh, somebody owns the hypervisor. Because you, you also have other people on the same appliance when you go into the cloud. So you share 
the same HCI basically. So that's why they don't give you full control over life. How about integrating with existing infrastructure? How does HCI integrate with existing data center infrastructure and support like legacy systems? Yeah, it's no problem because it uses the standard protocols and on the network. So basically, communicating with other uh, legacy environment uses TCP IP mostly on the network, on the machines, virtual machines, Linux, Windows. Yeah, so they're all the same. So the legacy system does not really know this guy is HCI next to it or it's a physical appliance. It's pretty much the same. So it has no problem. It integrates, right? So you can actually go in there. And most of people do is that maybe they have like a 10 physical machine and they go in there and then um, you say, oh, yeah, I need to virtualize and, you know, HCI type of thing. Maybe seven of my machines, you know, so they reduce it to one HCI appliance, and then, you know, maybe they want to keep three of their machines. And mostly the reason they want to do that, uh, because they have old software and old uh, maybe operating systems, and they don't want to touch that and virtualize, right? Sometimes it's very specific or basically certain workloads or something, which is still what we call legacy, right? So older stuff, they don't want to touch as much. And they are more feel more comfortable with that. So maybe that's why they keep maybe some of their their machines. Uh, but most of the machine gets virtualized and becomes uh, HCI. And uh, of course, you know some of their their storage when it comes becomes HCI. You already have integrated storage system in there. So they either retire those or just keep them as uh, working with the legacy machines. So. It works very well, so it depends what you try to take out from your production and convert to HCI and what you want to keep. And that has to do with the requirement of the system than anything else. You know, and all usually legacy system, they might have some requirement running on a special old version of Windows, for example. And, you know, so they prefer to stay with that, not touch it until the sort of getting out of it and just moving to HCI. I know we talked about some of the challenges in not the deployment process, but the use of HCI. But are there other challenges, like common challenges or pitfalls, maybe that organizations might face when they're trying to adopt HCI? Yeah, I think you know one of the things is important is uh, standards, right? So when you go with the standards, then you're safe. Some people they go with um, modified uh, version of like a hypervisor. Right, the KVM modified and things like that. They usually start creating compatibility. So there are HCI systems that they use their own hypervisor to save money, or that because you know, like some of the hypervisors like KVM or Zen and stuff, they are free. You know, they're open source free. So and some people, some vendors, they actually use those, uh, which is great. But the problem is compatibility. When you want to back them up, all of a sudden. You are running to compatibility when you want to, you know, integrate it with some of the packages, then you run into problems. So I would go with something which is more supported, so more mainstream, uh, so you don't get stuck with something that you cannot do, basically. So uh, usually we recommend VMware or Hyper-V as a hypervisor in HCI because it's more mainstream, more supported. And the support is a big deal. You know, it's a very big deal on, 
you know, compatibility, but also security, right? And support. So these are some of the stuff you got to watch. And uh, so that's one thing. And then, you know, of course, the sizing of the thing, again, uh, I emphasize to be able to size it correctly. So it meets your requirement today, but at the same time, uh, you know, you can, you can upgrade it and scale it and also make sure the high availability there, there is, as you require. So see, you know, what kind of redundancy you require, what kind of high availability you require. So meets your SLA, basically. Meets the requirement today and tomorrow, wherever you're going. Exactly. So these are the challenges people have. But if you pick up the right vendor to understand all this and walk you through it, you know, uh, you should be good. You know, I mean, and that's the whole idea, right? That's the whole idea of, um, you know, buying something that uh, works for you and continue working for you. And, um, you know, cost of ownership is low and, uh, you know, has a pretty good life. Let's talk about trends. In what ways is the HCI market changing in response to customer demand and, you know, this uh, as a service style consumption that we have today? Is there HCI as a service? Yeah, I mean, if you look at private cloud, when you call it, call it private cloud, so private cloud, of course, could be your cloud, could be MSP cloud, you know, managed service provider. So most of the bigger public cloud, of course, we talked about it, they use their own hypervisor, modified version of their own hypervisor, like Hyper-V modified from Azure, and then, you know, the KVM maybe get modified, becomes Amazon. Now. What happens in in a sort of a public pu- private cloud? Private cloud either is yours or is MSPs. Somebody managed service provider provides it, but they also provide the HCI. So HCI is their cloud, basically most of the time. Most of the time. So basically means that uh, you know you can offer HCI as a service. What is offered to you either, as I said, you buy it and you put in the in a data center and then give yourself a service, you know, or you just get it from a MSPs and specify, okay, I want this HCI slash cloud, have this much resources, this kind of virtual machines and things like that, or they might just provide that to you as well, not as an appliance, but more or less, again, with another software which basically it's a sort of uh, cousins of HCI, which is, as I said, modified uh, hypervisor, and then, you know, uh, call it cloud and give it to you. As, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's the same technology, same idea, is used as a service. So they partition it uh, between different users, and then different users can sit on that appliance. That's why they might call it cloud. Uh, versus, you know, if they say HCI is a service, means more or less they want to give you the appliance as a whole, so you kind of own the whole appliance in the in the their data center, and you get the whole resources. So that might be something, you know, you prefer because you have more security, you don't have noisy neighbors and stuff like that, and you know, other things, right? So yeah, you have to inquire with MSPs or your vendors. Uh, if they would be able to, you know, accomp- you know, give you uh, either one. How about 
edge computing is is hci always a good fit at the edge it could be right it could be uh, it depends how it's configured and what kind of resources do you actually you want to have at the edge yeah it could be but as i said uh, uh, hci will shine uh, if you have uh, more more uh, workload to run so more servers so Usually edge is very specific, so may not need as many servers running on the edge. Uh, so uh, maybe not as much versus, you know, other use cases that you might have, which uh, utilization is required, requisition hardware required, it would be key. And so it might use it there. What's your opinion about the prospects of software-only options? It's great. It's fantastic. We sell that. So if if you bring your hardware then we sell you software as a, as uh, as optional right so no problem it's called software defined storage or sdn i think right control machines so and yeah we do sell it as uh, software only so if people have a hardware and they want to utilize their hardware efficiently they just basically reprogram it with sc or scvm and then they would have that version actually if the software runs bare metal, then they call it bare metals. We have that. It's called the Stone Fusion. So that is Stone Fusion. When it's a virtual machine, we call it SCVM. You can buy it as SCVM. When you buy it in the cloud, we call it cloud. So we have three versions. But they are the same version, but it runs in different places. So you can buy our Stone Fusion, run it as a bare metal. You can run it as virtualized, which is HCI. Or you can run it in the cloud. All three versions available. And it's the same same product. Well, let's move to the closing question. This is the the, the big moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, what advice do you have for organizations considering implementing HCI for their data storage and recovery needs? Well, you know, one of the thing is that uh, you know define what your requirement is. So based on that requirement, uh, size up the equipment correctly, and then. Uh, you know, I think the sizing, as I said, is emphasize the sizing. And then, of course, what data services you want, you know, and what kind of protection you want. What is your business requirement for all this? So if I want to go through this, is that uh, I would go look at my recurrent today and maybe a year, two years, three years, five years plan, uh, what might look like, you know, and then, you know, based on that, uh, determine what the size of the node is when one single appliance node is and how would i scale it to have more and more to take me take me to next five years and then you know uh, so i'm um, also i put integrated protection as part of it and I always do that because these days if you don't have it you're out of business already you just don't know it so basically it's important to have, to have all that integrations and be able to scale and uh, stay as far as high availability and then you know security well that was really interesting i i, I feel like I, I do feel like i learned a lot here before we get out of here uh, mo what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and then if you have any you know asks of the listener now's a good time to include those yeah, so the best way is actually go to our website uh, stonefly which is www uh, w.stonefly.com. And then if you have any sales questions, sales at 
stonefly.com. So that usually, uh, you know, it's a good good way of getting us. If you have any technical question, you can go to support at stonefly.com. So they are technically, they can answer all the questions. But sales is usually is a technical sales. So uh, they are familiar with all the uh, questions that might come in as far as, you know, if somebody wants to size a, uh, any kind of products and you know, see how to go about looking at anything that works in their environment. Uh, so sales is uh, sales at stonefly.com is. And uh, also, if you are going to call us, 510-415-1616. And have all the information, contact information is on website. So, and we are uh, globally serving the customers. So anywhere in Northern California, uh, United States, you know, Canada, then Australia, and then we have offices in Middle East, Africa, Europe. So in South America, so everywhere we are there. So we will be more than happy to uh, you know, serve, serve any, anybody who wants to ask questions, have any, any needs for our product. Sounds good. All right. We will end the show there. Actually, one more question. Surprise question. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> everyone's, All right. everyone's remote nowadays. Um, yeah. Uh, Atari, Sun Microsystems, and now the startups. Are you located in the Bay Area? Well, where are you? Yes, I am located actually in the heart of Bay Area. So I'm uh, between San Francisco and San Jose. Right. So I'm actually here. So uh, physically here, I'm actually in my office, you know. so. Yes, I do work remote, but I work in my office pretty much because also my production is in Bay Area, so it's next to me. So I like to go walk in production all the time, make sure, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Make sure it's working. Walk around. I'm imagining like that scene. I don't know if you've seen it from Silicon Valley where it's like they just zoom out. They're in a, a data center and they just zoom out and it's just like bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Sounds like a nice stroll. All right, Mo. Uh, well, if you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, thank you and leave us a rating. Mo, thanks for joining the show. It was awesome to have you on. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. You got it. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, you guys have a wonderful day.